0: This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlatnik, and now, Radio Joe Hughes.
1: Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. This week is episode 630, and we've got three PhD elemental, we've got a bunch of doctors on the show. We're going to talk today about the perspectives on COVID-19 and how it will change the IAQ world. We've got Dr. Bill Bonfleth. We've got Dr. Stephanie Taylor, Dr. Keishore Konkari. Looking forward to a great show. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They are the reason we can continue doing IAQ radio. Please thank them for their support of the show. Our marquee sponsor is Instascope at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are the American Industrial Hygiene Association at AIHA.org, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists at ACGIH.org, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute at CIRIScience.org, the Indoor Air Quality Association at IAQA.org, the Restoration Industry Association at restorationindustry.org, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification at iicrc.org, and Healthy Buildings America 2021 at hb2021-america.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories at AEMLInc.com, Particles Plus at particlesplus.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions at graywolfsensing dot com. TSI Inc at tsi dot com. Sunbelt Rentals at sunbeltrentals.com. April Air at april a i r e com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine at healthyindoors.com. dot <laughs> com.
0: And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to C Zlotnik at CS.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z Man. Hello everyone. Congratulations go out to IAQ Dotty in Central City PA, who identified. Buddy Ebsen, as the cast member of the original Wizard of Oz, who was replaced after becoming severely sickened by his makeup. The IAQ Radio trivia question for today, June 18, 2021, has been sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for the monitoring of indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at TSI.com. Here is today's trivia question. What percentage of people confirmed to have COVID-19 develop mild or moderate symptoms? Back to you, Joe. Okay, thank you, Cliff. So we've got
1: Dr. Bill Bonfleth. He's a professor of architectural engineering at Penn State. His PhD is in mechanical engineering from the University of Illinois. He's the author or co-author of more than 170 technical papers and articles and 14 books and book chapters. He is also a fellow at ASHRAE, and he's a past president of ASHRAE. Dr. Kishore Kankari is the president and the founder of Ansight LLC, a specialist in computational fluid dynamics. Dr. Kankori is a noted expert in the field. He has a PhD in CFD from the University of Minnesota and has regularly published in technical journals. He's also an ASHRAE fellow and an ASHRAE distinguished lecturer. And we've got Dr. Stephanie Taylor. After working for decades as a physician, she decided to obtain her master's degree in architecture and infection control certification. Dr. Taylor is the CEO of Taylor Healthcare Commissioning Inc. where her lifelong commitment to patient care focuses on improving the physical healthcare environment and clinical work practices to protect and help her patients. Welcome all to the show. Great to have you here. Let's start with uh, Dr. Kenkari. You're new to our audience, so I wanted to get you up here first. Uh, we, you know, we were all kind of emailing back and forth about this show, and, and Bill actually came up with the idea of focusing not just on COVID-19, but how it's changed indoor air quality in general. And I think we'll start with you, uh, Dr. Kenkari. What, what do you think is the most important lesson we learned from this pandemic?
2: Joe, first of all, thank you for inviting me on your show. This is my first time. I'm very impressed by your passion about indoor air quality. And you are doing this from 2007, 600 plus show, commendable. Uh, thank you so much for doing this uh, for our society. Thank and, you. And creating the awareness for indoor air quality. Well, uh, what I learned during COVID uh, pandemic well I learned how to live in a cave. <laughs> 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 it, it prepared me uh, if I have to go to Himalayas for uh, for meditation I think I'm ready now because I know not how not to have social contacts and even know. But living that aside from indoor air quality what I learned is how ignorant the society is in general about indoor air quality and how little we in scientific community uh, uh, know or need to do uh, for improving the indoor air quality. This was eye-opener for everyone. I used to hear on TV and on radio right from Dr. Fauci to a, a local anchor, everyone is talking about good ventilation, good ventilation, good. And that became a buzzword in pandemic. And I looked around and I found we don't have really a, a comprehensive uh, definition of good ventilation that uh, that will cover all aspects of indoor air quality. So I think w- to summarize my thought is that we have to do a lot about indoor air quality. What we have done is really good, achievable, uh, but it's not enough now. And pandemic has opened our eyes.
1: That's an interesting. I, I like that. It's uh, We know a good bit, but not, not as much as maybe we thought we did. And, and, and it gets back to that definition. What is good ventilation? Let's get Dr. Bonfleth. Uh, let's get your thoughts on what happened? What's the most important lesson of the pandemic? Ventilation always makes me think of you and Ashray. Uh,
3: yes, air and particularly hot air is, is something people often think of when they uh, they think of me. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm really glad to uh, to be back, and I, I think um, the main lesson we've learned is IAQ is as important as people have been saying it is, and we weren't prepared. Uh, Uh, we didn't have a playbook for what do you do when there's an epidemic or a pandemic that we could open up and uh, know what to do. And we've spent a a year essentially trying to figure out what to do about buildings to make them safe, how people should behave, all all of that. And I think uh, that the lesson for the future is that we really do need to think about what to do next time and to have plans in place and to uh, design our, our buildings in the future so that they can respond to uh, an event like this or even an event like a, a wildfire. We've got you know, a drought going on in the West again, so you're know, looking for wildfires later. I think um, we, we didn't have resilient infrastructure and we didn't have plans for how to make ourselves safe when the inevitable crisis came along. We're, we're just way too good at forgetting that eventually something like this is going to happen.
1: You know, you bring up a great point there. And um, I thought we were headed that way after 9-11. <clears throat> and, and, and we started talking about indoor air quality, but then it kind of died away with, with you know, all the other things that were going on. And, and may, I don't know if this time it will be, that we'll actually follow through, but it's an interesting point.
3: Let's well, I remember Dr. from I remember from back then that one of the EPA people I was working with on research said, you know, if there are any more terrorist incidents in a couple of years, this is all going to go away. And he was right. Good point. Very good point. Dr. Taylor, you have a unique perspective on this
1: as an MD who, you know, for decades treated people. And now you focus more on indoor air quality, uh, I think, than, than on, uh, you know just daily treating people, what are your thoughts on what the most important lessons from this pandemic were?
4: That's a great question. Thank you, Joe. And what you just said was that I spend more time now thinking about indoor air quality than I do on actually treating people day to day. But I would rephrase that because managing indoor air quality for our health is actually treating all of us, not just day to day, but minute to minute. And I think one of the most important lessons from this pandemic is to raise awareness about how incredibly impactful our environment, which happens to be indoors most of the time, is to our health. And so I think the, the most important thing is making these incredibly important components visible, because as human beings, if we don't sense it with our five senses, we don't generally address it. You know, we forget about it. We might be frightened for the moment, but then we tend to put things on the shelf. So I think the most important lesson that I've learned is the essential need to create visibility around the indoor metrics that are impactful to our health and then to analyze them and understand them simply and clearly from the perspective of human health.
1: That's what I think I've learned. Well, you're also doing that. Um... You, you, we were talking before the show about your new venture and yeah. this wouldn't have been possible 20 years ago. Uh, now with the advent of better particle counters and, and low cost sensors, and, and those, the availability of these things, you can make the indoor air visible for people. Exactly. I mean, and Joe, you- just
4: like we were talking about and thank- thankfully, thank. I thank TSI because TSI just launched on Monday the air shore sensor that we're using that, that, moni- that measures the metrics that we know are impactful for human health. Then we draw that data into our algorithm, analyze it, and reveal the health impact. But you're absolutely right. Prior to the ability to create these low-cost and effective, accurate sensors, we couldn't create this visibility in the same way. I think it's
1: it's going to change things dramatically. Uh, let's go let's look at the second question here. Is it possible we will go back to the pre-COVID status quo after the pain of this, you know, current pandemic subsides? Let's let's start with Dr. Konkari.
2: Well, it depends on how you define the pain of pandemic. It's the uh if you mean that the the infectious aerosols will be vanished one day and we will have very low rate of infection, well, we we can resume our normal life. And the fear of this getting infected will go away eventually as we will start mingling with the outside people. Well, even if we go back to the status quo and where we were, The underlying problem of indoor air quality is not really solved. As I said before, this is an eye-opener for all of us, for the people who who are our consumers of indoor air quality, people who design these systems, and and the researchers like Bill, uh, who are developing new technologies and understanding the fundamentals of indoor air quality. I think unless we address that now and properly, I don't think we are ready for the next pandemic or for a better uh, indoor airport. Bill, can you follow up on that?
3: Uh, Sure, I I don't think we should ever underestimate the uh, uh, ability of people to uh, uh, feel the crisis is over and go back to, to normal. So I've already seen it that uh, we've got fairly high rates of of vaccination now in the US and infections and deaths are are dropping. And already people are wondering, well, can I pull my MERV 13 filters out of the air handling unit and put the eights back in? And do I I really need to increase ventilation? Um, So there's that factor, but I think that there are some some real uh, uh, forces at play that, that work against changing things. One is just the uh, somewhat uh, non-quantitative uh, nature of our knowledge about IAQ. I mean, we have We know what things are important, but uh, really quantifying the, the cause and effect in a way that we can monetize is difficult, uh, but we know that some air quality interventions, more ventilation, for example, increase energy use. And there are a lot of people who are bringing back to the fore the the issue of energy use and sustainability and we we can't do that. And then the the cost of of modifications to buildings. I think there are going to be a lot of pressures that are going to um, try to make standards and practices stay where they are. And and the only uh, hope I have is that that, uh, we've seen enough in the last year and thought enough about it that uh, this time we'll uh, push uh, better air quality over the top by combining resilience and uh, epidemic mitigation with better indoor air quality generally, which is something we can probably talk about more later on in the discussion. But I think you put those two things together and there's a powerful case for, for doing something, but not one that is guaranteed of success.
1: Interesting. All right, Dr. Taylor, I think same question for you. Um, you think we'll go back to that pre-COVID status?
4: So I'm not sure, actually. I hope not. Um, if I look at human behavioral af- behavior after the uh, Spanish influenza in 1918, you know, that was a crisis. Many people died and we went back to normal, quote unquote, normal. However, I think things are different in 2021 in several ways. One, um, there's much more effective and rapid media. So we tend to know what's going on around the world in an instant. So hopefully that that information uh, transference will help us not forget about uh, what's happening not only here, but around the world. But secondly, I don't think we will forget about it because if you look at the trajectory of human illness, if you look at inflammatory diseases, infectious diseases... Um, autoimmune disorders. Many of these things are on the rise and there's an abundance of data that ties the increase in those diseases to indoor air quality. And so I think people with their eyes open and who are interested in in seeing this will understand that one of the most effective drivers for human health or disease is actually the indoor environment. And if we do forget about it, I think unfortunately we will be reminded probably sooner rather than later by another event such as COVID
1: nineteen, I, that that is a great point. Uh, I mean, I want to go off script just a little bit. Go back to Doctor Bonfleth real quick. Last week we we did a show, and we were talking with Ed Light, who's a, a real well known certified industrial hygienist. He does a lot of school work in the D.C. area, and you know, we're talking about increasing ventilation, better filtration, so on and so forth. His feeling was that school districts and others who are trying to figure out what to do about this pandemic are realizing they really need to get back and just take care of the basic things, like making sure their their controls work, that their, their relative humidity centers are actually calibrated, and that we should be focused more on spending the money on just basic operations of maintenance, as opposed to trying to increase ventilation or add filtration, et cetera. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that.
3: Yeah, well, Ed, Ed's got a, you know his own perspective, as do several others. And this goes back to my comment about, did we really have a plan? There's so many different voices about what's the right thing to do. But I, I can't disagree with the aspect of his message, which is start with fundamentals. I, when, when we look at the GAO report on schools and see that a third of the HVAC systems need to be repaired or replaced, or stated another way, 41% of school districts have 50% or more of their HVAC systems that need repair or replacement. That's a pretty strong message. So if your base building doesn't work properly, what's the point of trying to add things onto it to provide better protection? I I agree with that point strongly. And, And I don't think another thing I would agree with is that we don't need new silver bullets to make indoor air quality better. This is, is something I harp on all the time when I have an opportunity, which is we, we have tools available now that are we know are effective. And we now apply them. We're just not doing it properly or to the extent necessary.
1: Yeah, I thought I, you know, the show came up at the last minute last week. We had a guest that couldn't make it. And um, I thought it was a really good show and that Ed brought up a very important point there. So I wanted to get your thoughts on it. -hmm. Let me go to Joe. Yeah,
2: if
0: if, if, if I may, you know, when you were putting together, um, the, um, the questions, uh, I misread one of the questions and I misread the word in subsides. I misread it as subsidies. And, uh, what I'd like everybody to comment is what do you think is going to happen when the money goes away? You know, when the government starts giving people out of work money, uh, Schools money uh, buildings money and 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 so on and so forth. do you think that the spending is gonna you know be be done by the people themselves or do you think they're going to expect the government to pay all the bills to fix everything? so we could just
2: go Sorry. around to warn it let's on. start with you yeah I, again, I have a different view about industrial quality, slightly different see. More emphasis is placed on increasing the ventilation rates, improving the filtration, uh, and maybe adding some supplementary cleaning devices. They're all good. They're all essential. But they're not enough. See, air is the primary carrier of heat, moisture, contaminants, infectious aerosols. You can bring all the clean air, all uncontaminated air, through your diffuses, but the sources of contaminants are present right where we breathe, that is four to six feet height from the floor. And so, unless we wrap this around and say, well, how air moves within the indoor spaces, where the sources of contaminants are, where the obstructions to airflow are, and unless we put a microscope on the spaces and understand how air moves and where the contaminants are going just improving the ventilation rates or increasing the more air flow rate to the spaces is not enough and so when when the government help goes away uh, when people don't have money and and really you need money when you need to do the uh, infrastructure retrofit or something like that but there are few simple things uh, if you can add one more written uh, location into the classroom or just change the, where the diffusers are, it can help to improve the indoor air quality. So I come from a different uh, expertise and different mm-hmm. viewpoint on this.
1: That's an interesting point. And, and you do that through the computational fluid dynamics and you expect that that will be more in demand as we go
2: further away from this uh, COVID-19 pandemic? Yes, indeed. Uh, Because uh, computational fluid dynamics is not a recent science. It has been there for a long time. Aerospace industry, automotive industry, even those who are creating the world's best vacuum cleaners are using computational fluid dynamics Uh, for their benefit, uh, for for the advantage of improving their products and services. So why our industry should shy for using that? I'm not expecting every school to use uh, CFD. I'm not expecting every design engineer should be trained and used on every project, but this valuable tool, that really puts the microscope on the space and we can visualize airflow patterns. We can see where the contaminated spaces are and spots in the indoor spaces. Use that to develop better guidelines uh, for the people.
1: Interesting. Um, let's go to Dr. Taylor. What's your thoughts on Cliff's question? Will we go, you know, once the money's gone, what happens? So that,
4: that's an interesting question and I... You know, not one that is exactly my area of expertise, you know, economics. However, as I see it, money gives people, whether that person is an individual homeowner or commercial real estate developer, the ability to do something with someone else's money. So that's the ability to do something. But I think that's the disconnect that I see that prevents buildings from being managed more properly is a disconnect between the, who owns a building, who manages the building, and the occupants. So I think that uniting the sort of tra- train of responsibility so that the person who experiences the health impact is the one who makes decisions will certainly help move things forward in a good way. I also believe that, and it's interesting, Kishore, when you were talking about computerized flow dynamic analysis, I see a lot of connection between what I'm focusing on now, which is creating visibility around the health impact of an indoor space. And what you're doing, which is visualizing the flow of air, I think that visualization is very valuable. But I feel that by creating clarity for the person who's being affected by the indoor air quality, creating clarity for that person will help move things forward because none of us want to be sick. None of us want our children to be sick. None of us want to get sicker when we're in the hospital because of air quality. And in, in my experience, by starting with occupant health and using that as a lens to proper indoor air management, you know, first, in my experience, I learned how important relative humidity 40 to 60% is for our health. So I think that uniting the chain of responsibility and creating visibility, and in my work, it's through using the um, Air Assure sensors, is absolutely key to keeping this uh Moving in the right direction.
1: All right, Doctor Bonflett, uh, comments on Cliff's question.
3: Uh, sure. Well, I mean, we we have a problem, of course, with with split uh, incentive. Who who pays and and who benefits that that uh, apply to a lot of of buildings. And and so yes, when when the money dries up, if if that's all it is, if a pot of money is is dumped out there to to support improvements, then. Um, when it's gone, not much will will happen. So I, I think what that clearly uh, indicates, and uh, maybe it's not the kind of thing you like to say in the U.S., but you know, policy and uh, and regulation is going to be important in the future. Uh, there's there's a huge uh, externality in terms of national healthcare costs that results from people being in buildings that have mediocre or poor. IAQ. When we did the ASHRAE 2016 uh, IAQ conference that was focused on policy and standards, uh, one of our keynote speakers said that if we just had better air quality in buildings, it would go a long way to to solving our national healthcare cost crisis because, for example, we take kids who have asthma attacks and they go to the hospital the emergency room, we treat them, and then we send them back to the environment that put them in the hospital in the first place. So I, I do think that policy and standards are going to play a big role in the future if we're really going to be uh, successful at uh, at moving forward from where we are. You know, you mentioned policy and standards, and that's kind of the next question. What is the most important
1: change that needs to be made to IAQ standards? And uh, let's start with uh, Dr. Taylor on that one.
4: I think that the most important standard that we should implement is a minimum relative humidity in our occupied buildings.
1: Minimum RH, and that I got to follow up on that because that that leads right into a question that was sent by Ed. Actually, Ashray's forty percent minimum relative humidity recommendation. What is the status of that? He says I can't find any COVID epidemiology supporting this. Am I missing anything? Anybody want to comment on that? Well,
3: I'll, I'll Ashray not having a forty percent relative humidity recommendation. If you look at the core recommendations, it says. Maintain temperature and humidity set points, the 30 to to 60 is in in the chapter on humidifiers. Okay,
4: so Canada implemented the I think Canada is the first company uh, country to implement a best practices of 40 to 60 in residential homes and in long term senior, senior long term care facilities. And, you know, if if you look into what happens in buildings around the world, different climates with 40 percent indoor relative humidity, depending on the building envelope and uh, insulation, you can get you can run into problems. And I thought Bill would say that. And I understand that, but um, addressing the need to look at the minimum relative humidity, I think, is is absolutely essential if we're going to ever be healthy indoors.
3: You know, I, I commented on the sort of the lack of uh, knowledge in some areas, but IEQ and and one of the the problems is that where infectious diseases are concerned, we we often are really thin on what you would call epidemiological data and, and actually cause and effect between exposure and and illness. And of course, you could say that that's why it took WHO over a year to. Agree that airborne transmission occurs is because nobody could show them uh, an RCT that, that that proved it, and and yet there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that that occurs. So I would say we we know that COVID-19 is a virus that responds to temperature and humidity, and we can take that into account in in assessing what exposure is. But you know, I think Ed's probably right that we don't have epidemiologic data that. Uh, uh, that proves that it, it affects the incidence of illness, just like we don't have data for almost anything else you could name ventilation, starting for, for one.
4: Good point. Except, uh, except don't forget that part of disease transmission is the ability of the human being to resist getting sick. And so not perfect. only does indoor air quality affect the exposure to external things such as viruses, but it also impacts our immune system.
3: Sure, so the question we, is Has anybody done that for COVID 19?
4: Yeah, there. well, there are numerous epidemiological studies looking at indoor, outdoor weather patterns and indoor pattern, indoor conditions that relate to higher incidence of new cases and deaths. So I say yes, those studies are have been done. As a matter of fact, I did one of them with MIT. Hmm. All right, let me, let's go.
2: I, I want to finish. Have,
1: go ahead, Dr. Concord,
2: please. <laughs> Sorry, um, about the standards, again, not getting into the, details of which value, which number is good or bad. In my observation, we need to completely change our thinking about standards. These standards are prescriptive standards. They are not performance-based. And what is happening is the design community is using these standards as design guidelines. If you look at any ASHRAE standard, the, the first thing written on the top of that standard This is the minimum requirement. Standard is not the optimum recommendations for designers to follow just in the letters and forget the spirit behind it. And so unless we educate our design community that not to be slave of standards and codes, but to understand what is good for the people Our buildings are for the people. And so unless we have the performance-based standards and people, owners, and facility managers, and designers are held responsible for performance, I don't think the standards will do any good to the society.
1: Very interesting point. Uh, Dr. Barcloth, let's let you uh, chime in on the uh, standards before we go to halftime.
3: Sure. Well, I I think uh, that our standards for air quality, like the 62s of ASHRAE, need to focus explicitly on on um, infection risk. It's one thing that we've we've learned. And I would say uh, also we need better integration with standards. One of the, the problems that we have is siloing. We've got energy standards that <clears throat> really would like us to use as little a- outdoor air as possible to save energy. And we have a thermal comfort standard that says it's okay to have zero relative humidity because it doesn't affect thermal comfort, and we have an air quality standard that's mainly concerned about mold growth. So unless we can somehow figure out how to integrate those, we're not going to get good solutions. You open standard 62.1, and it gives you a factor you can use to account for how bad your air distribution is, but there really isn't a design standard that drives you in the direction of using good air distribution along with an appropriate amount of, of ventilation and an air cleaner. So I, I do think there's a lot of work to do there as Keyshore was uh, suggesting.
1: Interesting. And Ed commented that he was referring to the 2020 ASHRAE recommendations for 40% relative humidity. It looks like the revised 2021 guidance no longer recommends 40%. Anybody have a thought on that?
3: Well, that's what I was talking about. we published our, our core recommendations in January of this year to clarify what the current position's were, and and they did change between the time that the infectious aerosols PD was published in uh, uh, April of of 2020 and and January. And I wanna make it clear, we're not saying that uh, the ASHRAE task force doesn't think 40% relative humidity is a a good idea, simply that as something that might be taken as requirement for all of the buildings that would be hard to humidify and for which there are other measures that could be taken in the short term For infection prevention it didn't seem to prioritize as highly as as some people believe it does but uh, there are you know those differences of opinion are are fine and we continue to discuss them
4: so can i speak up here Uh, joe i think i maybe i'm double dipping here but when when i completely agree what kishore said about uh standards and what bill said about siloing but one of the one of the professions that's missing in managing indoor air quality for human health are clinicians. Yeah. Oh, and I think that's a huge, for me as a physician, that's a huge embarrassment to, to, see, to ask where are the physicians in this discussion? They're not enough of us. Because when you bring in human health, it it, you know, then the, for example, with humidity it becomes really clear that low relative humidity is terrible for our health. So we need more clinicians in this discussion.
3: You raised an interesting point. I'll just comment briefly on Stephanie, which is how hard it's been to find physicians to be on the Ashray Environmental Health Committee. You know, we're, and <laughs> we're lucky to have you before that. Jan Sundell was basically the usual suspect, and it, it's been relatively hard. So uh, you need to talk to your profession about engaging with organizations like Ashray and taking buildings as a factor in health more seriously than some of them have.
4: Oh my gosh, Bill. I, first of all, I'm really gratified to hear that you think you're lucky to have me involved because you and I sometimes butt heads, but no, you're right. I mean, I don't know what it is about, about physicians, but it's very hard for us to enter into an area that's not our expertise and be comfortable doing that. I think it's true for everyone, but it's especially true for physicians.
1: We've got to work on it. it. Uh, That'd be great. Um, I wanted to mention occupants, too. Maybe they need to be more involved. Uh, But, uh, you know, I I think they're easier to get involved maybe than the medical community is. Let's stop and thank our sponsors. We'll be back for the second half. We've got Dr. Bill Bonflet, Dr. Stephanie Taylor, Dr. Kishore Konkari. We're talking about how COVID might change the IAQ world. Our marquee sponsor, Instascope. More jobs, done faster. With the future of IAQ assessment technology, unlimited samples, instant results, and cloud based data at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, a Healthier World, at AIHA.org, ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety. Interested in defining their science at ACGIH.org. The Cleaning Industry Research Institute. See more deeply through science and research at CIRIScience.org. The Indoor Air Quality Association. Promoting the exchange of indoor environmental quality information through education and research at IAQA.org. The Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry. Network with leaders at restorationindustry.org. The IICRC, a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry at IICRC.org. And Healthy Buildings America 2021 in Honolulu, Hawaii, November 9 through 11 at hb2021-america.org. IAQ Radio industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, free shipping, great pricing, same-day results with no rush fee at AEMLinc.com, Particles Plus. Feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation, count on us at particlesplus.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, over 20 years manufacturing accurate, reliable IAQ instrumentation for portable short-term and continuous monitoring at graywolfsensing.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at TSI.com. Sunbelt Rentals, availability, reliability, and ease for all your IAQ and restoration needs at SunbeltRentals.com. April Air, healthy air, healthy home at AprilAIRE.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers at HealthyIndoors.com. All right, we're back. I want to jump right into this next question, start with Dr. Bonfleth. What is the most important change that needs to be made to design practice?
3: Uh, I think we need to stop treating indoor air quality as a constraint on energy use. Uh, Right, the typical uh, design, you uh, figure out what the ventilation is required to be by the code and you put in the minimum filter and then you design to optimize the energy use of the building. At least that's my, uh, maybe a cartoonish characterization of the process. I, I think we need to get to the point where design professionals are educated enough about the impacts of indoor environmental quality and they're provided with sufficient tools to evaluate it that we can consider the optimization of, of uh, IEQ generally and IAQ specifically, and factor that into the, uh, the value and the life cycle cost analysis of the building. And if we do that, things would change dramatically.
1: Interesting. Dr. Konkari, same
2: question. Yes, and I agree with Bill what he said, but we need to understand buildings are all the people. Instead of coming it from top down, it should come bottom up. Hmm. Design engineers should understand they're designing buildings for the people. And so far, what happened is before pandemic, we got very easy, right? Our consumer of our products, that is the people, they're passive. They don't complain about their indoor air quality because they're ignorant about it. And unless we start this movement, that indoor air quality is fundamental human right. Just like clean water, clean air is my fundamental human right. And let my consumer demand better indoor quality. If that happens, then everything will fall together. Everything will come together. Everything will come together. If I'm designing the building, if I'm designing the hospital, and if I think, what if my son or daughter or my brother is going to work in this building, what else I will do to make this building comfortable and safe for the occupant? So unless we have that paradigm shift in our thinking, I think no matter how many recommendations, how many design guides we write, it will be of no use because I work with this industry. And if we have this mindset of low-cost bidder, think about this. Think, Look around us. Who gets the job? Who gets becomes the contractor? Who Which firm is selected for designing the building? It's all based on low-cost bidder. I think if we change it and think it's not about the low cost, it's about the high performance, I think everything will change. Interesting. Dr. Taylor,
4: same question. So, so I agree with Bill and with Keyshore. Create buildings as shelters for people. To do that, I think we need to, again, I sound like a broken record. I think we need to create visibility into the parameters that are important for our health because the average right. occupants don't perceive all of the components that are essential. Number one. Number two, I think that materials... And material selection need to be brought into the conversation around indoor air quality, and particularly around moisture management. Um, I think porous materials that actually absorb and release uh, water vapor should be considered um, in the design of mechanical systems. So I think creating visibility around the health components and to do that, uh, I agree with what Kishore said. Buildings are for people. I agree with what Bill said. Energy is not the only standard. Create visibility and understand the broader picture around moisture management in buildings.
1: I'm curious. I was at halftime. I was scanning through all the comments, and one was that you know when people have a, a wristwatch or maybe their phone that tells them what their indoor air quality is like around them, we may start to see more change in, in, in how we design and manage buildings and. I'm wondering, Doctor Taylor, with the new product you're working with, is that something they will have access to on their phone?
4: Yes, absolutely. So our so our company, Building for Health B for H, um, does exactly that. We install the TSI Airshore monitors for continuous monitoring, and from the data that we acquire, we create a health impact rating, and people can visualize that whether it's on a computer or an, an iPad. Uh, a mobile device or their phone or a watch it absolutely interesting
1: all right let me go to the next question here let's start with uh Dr. Kankari what is the biggest knowledge gap revealed by the pandemic what what are we what are we learning we don't know
2: yeah this that, is a great question and uh, there are so many things we learned that we don't know i think the first and fundamental thing is what are the major contaminants in, in our indoor spaces? At what rate they are generated? Where they're generated? What, is, what are the major sources of contaminants? I mean, think about SARS-CoV-2. I mean, this virus, uh, very little is known about it. Uh, I mean, and, and their impact on health. So what is happening is, how much it is generated and how much we should control. They are big unknowns. I mean, NASH and and EPA and all other people have some exposure levels uh, published in their guidelines, but I think there is a need to do more research on this, understand our nature of contaminants, their generation rate, and their acceptable values for safety of the people. The other thing we need to know more about is how air flows into the indoor spaces and what type of diffusers we need. We are just relying on what they call the air mixing diffusers. Do we really need air to be mixed? Is that what the, the next century demands? So we need to have out of the box thinking. We need to create the paradigm shift. We need to nurture the culture of innovation and out-of-the-box thinking. So I think those are the things in my
1: mind. Uh, you, you bring up a great point. In the, you know, over the last 14 years we've been doing this, one of the shows that opened my mind was the Home Chem Project that Sloan funded. And I, I thought they were going to look into things that we talk about all the time. And as it turns out, they were, they were looking at numerous environmental exposures that I never even thought about, you know. Uh, and then, the other thing that, that I think is confusing and, and, and makes it even more difficult is how do these interact with each other? You know, you were talking about what what we don't know on an individual basis, but then once they get into the, how do they interact? And um, I think you bring up a great point. Let's go to the same question, Dr. Bobflin.
3: Oh, sure. I, I have, have a lot of uh, candidates here. Um, I, I think kind of related to what Kishore was, was saying, uh, I think, Uh, quantitative criteria for risk management are a big need. This is one reason we can't seem to come to a clear understanding of what ventilation rates or equivalent ventilation rates are are needed. What what is acceptable risk and how do you calculate it? And and The other thing I'd I'd highlight is air cleaners. There's a lot of potential in air cleaning technology to be low energy and, and effective, but it's become obvious that we don't know nearly enough about how the basic technologies work and also there are issues of say air distribution related to how they work in a space. If we're using something like a portable air cleaner and and there are a lot of other ones too, but those are two that are at the top of my list.
1: Interesting. And that, that whole, there's so much confusion on air cleaners too. And then it seems like people want to gravitate toward the, the ones with the biggest, you know, the best bells and whistles and, and the, uh, Most, you know, scientific sounding names, you know, your bipolar ionization and things like that, um, when a simple air cleaner might do a great job for you.
3: Well, if the job is to remove particles from the air and you have a technology like a HEPA filter that will remove 99.9 plus percent, do you need something else in most cases? I don't
2: know. I I just want to add to air cleaner subject here. Um, just buying air cleaner and having a air cleaner in a room, in my opinion, is not enough. Because if you buy a big air cleaner, put it on the floor, and that air cleaner sucks the air from the floor, I call it a vacuum cleaner. It's not an air cleaner. <laughs> okay. So where you place that air cleaner? Again, let me let me emphasize this. We need to have clean air in our breathing zone, which is four to six feet height from the floor. That air cleaner should pull the contaminants from this breathing zone and provide me clean air in the breathing zone. If you are cleaning the ceiling or cleaning the floor, it's not helping my nose. So that thing we need to keep into mind that just buying air cleaner is not enough. Great point.
1: All right, Dr. Teller, do you have a a thought on this? What uh, the biggest gap revealed was?
4: Well, an an area that I'd like to bring up is it's not, in my opinion, only uh, indoor air chemistry and how reactants work together as contaminants, but there's a whole field that it, you know, it's no longer even emerging. It has emerged, which is managing the the microbiome of the indoor environment Mm. and how that microbiome, in other words, the community of viruses, bacteria, and protozoa that are in buildings and in our bodies. We, as human beings, we release thirty-seven million microbes per hour into the air, and and that's and most of those are good for us. As a matter of fact, we need them to survive. But a component that is definitely missing, in my opinion, from these discussions is managing the building for uh, to to promote diverse microbial communities that support our health. And that may be hard to think about right now when we're all pitted against a virus, but most microbes are good for us and they're everywhere. So I think that managing the building microbiome with both indoor air quality and surface materials is another key part to maintaining human health.
1: Great point. And that was starting to gain traction until COVID hit.
4: I know. Well, nobody <laughs> wants to think about <laughs> the good viruses when there's one that's killing too so many people.
1: Great point. All right, John, let's go to the roundup, buddy. All right, the roundup is brought to us by April Air, Healthy Air, Healthy Home at AprilAire.com. All right, I think I want to throw out this last question. And uh, just go around the table here and get everybody to comment. What can be done to make better IAQ sustainable? So it's kind of a good way to round things up. Let's go back, Dr. Let's go to Dr. Konkari first. Yeah.
2: uh, If we want to make IAQ sustainable, we need to wake up our consumers. We need to educate people what is IAQ and Joe, you are doing an excellent job with the show. I think that, that's really helping us wake up, understand why IAQ is important. It's unfortunate that people talk about the cost. They talk about the energy efficiency. I mean, in the last decade or so, we have been so much thinking about energy efficiency where we don't want energy efficient building which doesn't perform. And so let people, let's put the people at the center of this equation. Everything will become sustainable.
1: Well, you're making a lot of my past guests real happy right now. They've been saying that for years, and it's great to hear it from you. And, and, and the design community, too. That's great news. Uh, let's go to Dr. Taylor. Then I want to wrap it up with Dr. Bonflet.
4: So, again, I agree exactly with what Kishore sa- said Make uh, Put people at the center of our buildings and, again, create visibility around what's important for people. So put sensors in all occupied buildings and have people understand how the indoor environment is affecting their health.
1: And we can do that now pretty inexpensively. Yep. Good point. Dr. Bonflet, final thoughts on what will make IAQ more sustainable?
3: Yeah, thanks. And of course, I want to emphasize that, that making buildings healthier for their occupants is sustainability. But when we talk about sustainability, what we're really saying is how can we have better IAQ in buildings that <clears throat> use less energy? And so, you know, the, the place you start is source control. The, the the fewer the sources we have to deal with, the less energy it takes to, to handle them. Uh, for ventilation, energy recovery should be used as, as widely as possible, and it should be efficient, and to Stephanie's point, I think one of the key things is <clears throat> improved demand control, which means sensors that determine where people are and what their exposures are. Because one of the things that we've seen during the pandemic is you take all the people out of the building and its energy use doesn't change because we're not localizing the delivery of even thermal comfort. But if, if we develop systems that will give people really high air quality, where they're located and turn down or turn off other areas, that would save more energy than anything we could imagine that would improve air quality would do. And the other thing I'd say, uh, improved air distribution. This is all about delivering better air to the breathing zone, as Kishore said, that saves energy. And air cleaners, really important that we we learn how to use them safely and effectively, because that's also a big potential energy saver, and combine that with uh, multiple operating modes. We've got a pandemic mode. We've got a a, a wildfire mode so that we don't have to burn a lot of energy all the time. All of those things will help. And I think we could uh, really contribute to buildings using less energy than they do today.
1: Let me go to the Z-Man. Cliff, final thoughts or questions for our guests? (sighs)
0: I I think some final thoughts, I think they've touched on it, but um, I I just want to repeat it. If if we go back and think how we got into these problems, you know, it was all about energy. We sealed up all the buildings and, you know, there were incentives in order to do that. And, And then the problems come afterwards and we didn't learn from that. And it's the same thing going on now. It's all about energy and we're not learning from it. And the thing is, we're going to spend the money either way. You're going to spend it on hospitalization. You're going to spend it on drugs. You're going to spend it on those things. Or you can invest it in making, as Stephanie says, making the buildings a healthier place. I don't think that we're going to save any money Uh, either way. We're probably going to be spending the same thing. It's just where does does the money go? And I think we should make energy secondary and concentrate on healthy buildings and, and healthy occupants.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Let me go around real one, real quick. I still have two minutes, so if you could just give me a short answer. Anything you'd like to add? Any final thoughts? Let's start with Dr. Taylor.
4: So just based on what Cliff just said, you know, why do we focus on energy? You know, you can see the energy meter running. You have to take out your checkbook or your Venmo or whatever and pay for it. Yeah. And I think it's that clear impact of energy use, not only on the outdoor environment, but on our pocketbooks that is made, given it such a high priority. So again, create that same visibility with with sensors on indoor air quality, and we'll know what to do.
1: Dr. Konkari, final thoughts, anything
2: you'd like to add, anything we missed? Yes, just keep people in the focus. Yeah. Develop all designs, people-centric, occupant-centric, and break the silos. Uh, bring people together, bring different expertise together and have the holistic approach to IAQ, not just looking from one lens. And if we do that, not only we will have healthy buildings, but we will have very energy efficient buildings too.
1: And thank you. And thanks for joining us. I I look forward to doing a show on the uh, CFD in the not too distant future. Thank you. Bill Bill Bonfleth. Final thoughts from you first, before you do, thank you so much. Um, you, you talked to me about doing this show and I thought it was a great idea. And I also want to thank you for your efforts back in 2013, 14 as president of ASHRAE and getting ASHRAE more focused on indoor air quality and residential buildings as well. I uh, I think those were important things that, that needed to be done. And um, I, I really appreciate you joining us and being a guest on the show.
3: Yeah. yeah thanks. M- my pleasure. Um so i 'm a professor so education, education, education. We need uh, designers of buildings, mechanical engineers need some indoor air quality and human factors in their education that isn 't there. Uh, building owners and operators need to to know why it's important for them to provide good indoor environments to their their occupants, and we need education for healthcare professionals and public health and industrial hygienists to understand as clearly as possible, the role that buildings play in, in health. And, and uh, that will change a lot of things if there's awareness of that. I think you can see that during the pandemic, that uh, we're, we're getting uh, a groundswell of support for better IAQ because so many people have become somewhat educated in the process.
1: Let's hope that groundswell continues, Bill. Thanks again. Appreciate it. I want to thank this week's guests the doctors dr bill Bonflet stephanie taylor kishore kankari great to have you on much appreciated my co-host the z-man cliff Slotnick. john you got to have faith at the controls and most importantly our growing group of loyal listeners and sponsors will be back next friday at noon with the next episode of iaq radio plus
0: for iaq radio yes, i'm spike Reed, saying thanks for listening